Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. My San Diego Padres are taking on the Dodgers, Phillies, and Braves, Mariners, Astros, Cleveland versus the Yankees. Playoff baseball is on this week, and with BetOnline Sportsbook, you can get all of the best odds, props, parlays, and promos for this week's games. Use our promo code BLEAV. That's B-L-E-A-V to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Hey, yo. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. It's another NFL Monday, everybody. Happy October 10th, according to my count. It might not be that according to your count but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening. We have got a fantabulous show coming at you today. The Buffalo Bills are really good at football. Also, every NFL Monday is another NFL Monday closer to Matt Rule getting fired by the Carolina Panthers. At this point, it's inevitable. We're just waiting for the day. One more NFL Monday closer to Matt Rule's firing. Welcome in, everybody. Hope you're having a fantabulous day. I promise you, we're going to talk all football, everything that happened over the weekend here on this Monday, if you allow me to spend the next five minutes talking about the San Diego Padres beating the New York Mets in the wildcard round, which has my entire sports focus for the next few days. Shout out to Rob Stone, San Diego 619 legend with our Padres rap anthem because the San Diego Padres are going to play the Los Angeles Dodgers in the second round of the playoffs. And I'm super freaking excited about that as a born and raised San Diegan now living in Sacramento and doing this weird podcast thing. Padres won. They won 6-0. Joe Musgrove had, according to some measurements, the greatest game uh, the greatest winner go home road performance in the history of baseball one hit seven innings got 
checked for sticky substances and they were rubbing his ear and his hair and his glove because the Mets were desperate and the Mets fans left early for a game that didn't even sell out the stadium. Oh, chef's kiss, chef's kiss, just beautiful, beautiful that the San Diego Padres are beating the Mets. And for those who don't know, because most of you maybe are not into baseball super seriously or the Padres, Joe Musgrove is one of those players who gets sold the sappy storylines of sports and also kind of gets whitewashed a little bit. His father was a police officer in San Diego, went to a upper middle class high school in the San Diego area, goes on to play with the Astros, then gets traded to Pittsburgh in a trade for Garrett Cole, which was a, a resounding success for Houston. His career stagnates in Pittsburgh because, you know, Garrett Cole's career stagnated in Pittsburgh. So a lot of people, their careers don't go as well when they go to the dumpster fire organization of the Pittsburgh Pirates. And then gets traded to the Padres in exchange for basically what was a star closer in David Bednard. And they get Joe Musgrove, and he's from San Diego, and he throws the first no-hitter in the history of the Padres franchise. And he's just a hometown guy who gets to be like the um, the grand marshal at the parades. And someone San Diego can hold up as like a born and raised San Diegan who's now a Padres pitcher. And, you know, uh, will do the Stetson Bennett thing. Like, the you know, Stetson Bennett is being uh, dubbed on the cover of Sports Illustrated because he's white, he's a quarterback, he's a southern boy from Georgia, he's a fratty bro, and, you know, basically that Stetson Bennett syndrome is what Joe Musgrove has some of with San Diego. And because I'm from San Diego, I'm willing to let it slide a little bit that people will do the, the like, soapy narrative storyline around Joe Musgrove that, that helps bring regional pride. And when it's other people's region, I find it sappy and stupid. And when it's my region, I'm like, that's our guy. Seven innings, one hit, moves the Padres onto the playoffs for the second time in my memorable lifetime. The first one being Tatis's bat flip in 2020. That ended up being on the cover of the show. At this time, there was no pressure. Padres won 6 nothing. I'm so hyped. They play the Dodgers this week. Playing, I have such a healthy perspective. We're playing with house money. I sang We Are the Champions on the ride back from work. Just such a healthy, happy perspective going into the Dodgers series. And you can tell with the giddiness in my voice, I'm very, very excited about this. Not that I'm not excited to talk about Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson and the New York Giants or the fact that the Baltimore Ravens are really, really good at football. Y'all, like, we're going to talk more about Buffalo later in the week. So I'm going to, like, put a, a pin in that for now. But, like, the Buffalo Bills are so great, so great at football so great at football and Baltimore is in a tier that's just below them and it's just crazy how good the skill level is for those of you who saw Sunday Night Football Baltimore Baltimore's defense held Cincinnati it was an ugly game I was watching the Padres but also I work at a radio station so I had all the games on in the background and Baltimore at the end went down 17-16 and they had two full minutes because the Bengals scored with 159. They had 159, three timeouts. Justin Tucker, they needed one point. Justin Tucker's field goal, according to Next Gen, uh, it wasn't Next Gen Stats. It was a, a stat website on Twitter that I will make sure I get correct because I want to cite my sources on this fun stat. The Baltimore Ravens end up winning. They had three timeouts and two minutes to go down the field 
and they did it in one minute, and they also only needed they only needed one minute of the two and didn't call a single timeout during the whole time. Like it took them one minute. So basically Baltimore had two minutes to go essentially 50 yards and they had three timeouts and it took Lamar Jackson one minute because Lamar Jackson had two carries for 28 yards on those 50 yard drives took Lamar Jackson one minute and zero timeouts needed to be spent in order to get into field goal range. And the Bengals had no timeouts after that. So they just kind of like ran the clock down, gave it to Justin Tucker. And this, according to Michael Lopez on Twitter, using next-gen stats, ball-tracking data, Justin Tucker's game-winning field goal crossed the upright with a Y-coordinate width of the field of 26.52. The exact middle of the field is Y equal to 26.67. That means if the uprights were half a yard wide... Half a yard wide. So if the uprights were 18 inches, the kick would have still been good by Justin Tucker. Baltimore is really good at football. They are the best team in the AFC North. I said at the start of the year they're the best team in the AFC North. I don't actually care that much about being right. It's just I, I talked about this last week. Like Baltimore is the team that feels like Baltimore feels like the team where they are always undervalued. And so I feel like correcting that margin is something that's important because Baltimore could, should, and would be 5-0 and right now. And a lot of Baltimore is could, should, and would. We did a whole podcast about this last Monday after the Bills-Ravens game. And I'm not going to go over that again. Again, check out NFL Monday Week 4 if you want the, the Baltimore conversation because I'm just so fascinated by that team. But... Man, Baltimore is the best team in the AFC North, and they're the third best team in football, and only in a universe where Kansas City and Buffalo exist does the excellence of Baltimore get overshadowed like a game on Sunday Night Football that was 19-17. to And I know it was ugly and not a whole lot of offense. Jamar Chase was cut was cut off a good bit by Marlon Humphrey on the deep balls, but they, they started using the screen game, and it was way more effective against Baltimore's defense. Like Ugly game, but still fun to watch. Baltimore can make those situations fun, and the threat of Lamar Jackson makes that fun, and and also the threat of Joe Burrow being able to just on any play connect with T. Higgins or connect with Tyler Boyd or do end-arounds or do screens to Jamar Chase, and Chase is going to cut it up the field. It was a fun game even in a low-scoring game, and I know that you know we crap on the Colts-Broncos game, and we're going to crap on the Giants a little. Well, we're not going to crap on the Giants a little later. We're going to acknowledge the Giants a little bit later on the show, and... uh even in a low-scoring game, Cincinnati and Baltimore managed to make it fun because Baltimore is a fun offense that when you give them a two-minute drill with three timeouts, they only need one minute and zero timeouts in order to complete the two-minute drill and then just give it to Justin Tucker, who makes kicks within 18 inches of perfect. All right, everybody. I am super-duper excited to tell you about andcaller.com. You know how I always say, support our dreams on the show? And Caller is literally supporting our dreams. They are covering expenses for Blake, Jude, and I to meet up in Salt Lake City and watch Arizona play Utah. This road trip was a joke that Blake, Jude, and I came up with back in August. And thanks to And Caller, it's actually going to happen. 
If you go to andcollar.com, and there's a link in the description to this episode, you can shop all of your wardrobe needs. They've got shirts, polos, blazers, pants, socks, and more. My new wardrobe is coming in this week. Super excited about that. For our listeners, Ann Collar is offering two promotions for you. Two promotions. Number one, all orders over $100, and Collar is going to cover the shipping. $10 to $15 free. They'll cover the cost. And two, any orders of $40 or more will get a free tie when you use our promo code EASY. That's E-A-S-Y with the link in this episode at andcaller.com. That's andcaller.com. Support our dreams by supporting the people who are helping making those dreams possible. All right, y'all. So we talked a little bit about the best games of the week, and there's a couple of topics I want to dive into here that are just something that I found interesting over the weekend. And one of those is the Minnesota Vikings. And I know that the Minnesota Vikings are not the most interesting story in the NFL. We've been talking about interesting stories throughout the season, and one of the things that I said is I don't want to pay attention to bad football this year. I want to have a healthy relationship with football. We're only doing one Monday podcast. I'm not obsessed with watching all the games. I I said after Colts and Broncos... Uh, I haven't watched a Thursday night football game since Chiefs and Chargers in week two. I feel like I've made a good choice from Pittsburgh and the sexual predators to the charge. I'm sorry, to the uh, Dolphins and Bengals game to this week with the Colts and Broncos, which everyone said was like an out of body experience as they were watching that game in a bad way because it was such bad football with all. It was like Iowa, Illinois, Iowa, Illinois was six to nine and Colts Broncos was 12 to uh, 12 to nine. I think like bad football is bad football. Okay. Check that. But I do want to talk about the Minnesota Vikings because I find the Minnesota Vikings infinitely interesting because it feels like they're basically the same team as the Rams except the Rams have Aaron Donald Cooper Cup and they just went to the Super Bowl. And so the Rams are going to command more attention around this. And obviously the easy connection there is Justin Jefferson is like not quite Cooper Cup levels of the Vikings offense, but Justin Jefferson makes up, I want to guess, at least 35% of the Vikings offensive play call and Cooper Cup's over 40% with the Rams at one point it was when it was a smaller sample size it was even 50% of the Rams offensive plays were ran through Cooper Cup and Minnesota's isn't going to be that dramatic because Minnesota can run the football pretty effectively like they have two good running backs I know Dalvin Cook used to be a great running back and now he's a very good running back and Alexander Madison is one of those handful of guys we think of of like could be a starter on like 10 NFL teams but happens to be the backup in Minnesota and you know someone would pay Madison what the Dolphins paid Chase Edmond plus plus this offseason and so Jefferson is less involved because he's only part of the passing game, whereas the Rams use Cooper Cup in the running game. Uh, they run screen plays with Cooper Cup more often. And uh, in this game, Jefferson had 13 targets and they threw 41 passes. So that's roughly a 32 percent, 31, 30, somewhere between 31 and 32 percent of pass plays went through Justin Jefferson. And the Vikings defense this year has been not good. 
And the Vikings defense hasn't been good for three seasons now. They haven't really done a ton to address the problem. I mean, they, they haven't done nothing, right? So the Vikings gave a bunch of money to... Remember that Vikings defense that was like top of the league good? Remember, uh, uh, what was that, the Case Keenum season four or five years ago? Um, they gave a bunch of money to Harrison Smith. Uh, they gave a bunch of money to uh, Anthony Barr. They ended up letting go of Xavier Rhodes. Uh, Linval Joseph left. Uh, you had that uh, situation. Gosh, what was the, um, who was the edge rusher who had, he was out of the league and he was in rehab and mental health issues. I apologize for forgetting his name, but um, Sheldon Richardson ended up leaving as well. And the Vikings have had bottom 12 defenses the last three seasons. DVOA rankings two years ago, they were 25th. Uh, last year, they were 22nd. And so far this season, uh, the, without this week's data being put in, but they did give up 22 points to the Bears. The Vikings had, going into the week, the 24th ranked defense, according to NFL uh, Football Outsiders DVOA metric. So they still have a bottom 10 defense. And I know the comparisons to the Rams don't check out as much there, but the Rams had the 18th ranked defense coming into the week. Last year, they were only ranked 12th in the league in DVOA at the end of the season and still won the Super Bowl. Um, obviously, that was a big Aaron Donald performance and etc. So it's like probably a more dramatic example of what we're talking about with the Rams. Their offenses predominantly run through Justin Jefferson in the passing game, and it's a lot of run plays. And Kevin O'Connell looks like he's running the same offense Stefanski was a couple years ago with the Vikings, and getting back to that has just kind of made it feel more normal for Minnesota. But now they have Justin Jefferson that changes the balance of how they use the offense because it was different when it was Diggs and Thielen it was different in Jefferson's rookie year and now that it's Jefferson's third year and he's probably the best receiver in the NFL they have changed the way that they've used Justin Jefferson and this is combined with the fact that Kirk Cousins has not played well this season and before this week remember Kirk Cousins had a perfect completion percentage in the first half that went away in the second half because Chicago played really well, and Kirk Cousins, I believe, didn't turn the ball over, but they had a, um, a misfire on one of those deep ball plays that could have led to points. Oh, Kirk Cousins did throw an interception. I, just, I missed that on the broadcast. But um, So that's two big mistakes for Kirk Cousins, one that takes at least three points off the board and one that's an interception that led to Bears points. And Kirk Cousins has had a bad season even by Kirk Cousins' standards. Like, Kirk Cousins' passer rating through five games is equal with Derek Carr, Carson Wentz, Matthew Stafford, and his completion percentage is equivalent to Matt Ryan, Daniel Jones, Jacoby Brissett, and his yards per attempt is 24th in the NFL this season. These are just stats coming out of five games from Kirk Cousins. His passer rating this season as an average, uh, for those who don't know, the average passer rating for an NFL quarterback is 90. Kirk Cousins has an 87 passer rating through five games this season. Uh, this would be the lowest total Kirk Cousins has had since his first season as starter in Washington. This would be Kirk Cousins' lowest passer rating number. And... Kirk Cousins has been a below-average starting NFL quarterback to begin the 2022 season, and he has six touch. I'm oh, sorry, he has seven touchdowns, four interceptions. Oh, sorry, seven touchdowns, five interceptions to start the season. And what's interesting is that the Vikings 
have still outperformed expectations this season. Part of it is the Detroit Lions threw up on themselves and the Vikings probably should have lost that game. And they could have lost against the Saints. And they it was never really in doubt against the Bears. It was just in the end only a seven-point victory when they played their best game, not including the Packers' first game. Like, they played their second-best game of the season, routed the Bears. The final score just happened to be closer because they couldn't put them away and their defense is not good enough to put teams away, even when Kirk Cousins is completing 17 of 17 passes. And so I'm interested in this from the Minnesota point of view because it feels like their flaws are similar to what the Rams' problems are, and what they do well is similar to what the Rams do well. The only difference is the Rams have Aaron Donald, and Matthew Stafford is clearly playing very injured for the for the uh, Los Angeles Rams, and I don't know what the situation is with Kirk Cousins other than Kirk Cousins has played like a fringe starter so far this season like one of those situations where you're asking yourself do we contemplate switching quarterbacks if you have a good alternative might not happen this season and obviously the they just gave him another one-year extension but the the play that Kirk Cousins has had to start the season merits questions of can we find better value at the quarterback position it's what the 49ers did when Jimmy Garoppolo had a season and you could argue a half because he tore his ACL. I think he tore his ACL only in like week four. But when Jimmy Garoppolo in 2019 had one season where he was a tier three quarterback, finished with a top 10 passer rating, and last year in a full season, Jimmy Garoppolo was a, t- a high end backup to fringe starter during the 2020 se- 21 season. And I say they should have put in Trey Lance over Jimmy G once they make that call to give up three first round picks to get Trey Lance. With those two seasons, Jimmy Garoppolo becomes a high-end backup. When it comes to Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins is having that 2021 Garoppolo season this year where the play warrants a question of can we find better value because this is one of the weak links on the team. And I think it's it's impossible to ignore the fact that when Kirk Cousins gets his giant extension, Vikings defense immediately starts to regress. But this is something that, of course, exists. When you're paying... million guaranteed per season to the quarterback position, of course you're going to have to sacrifice in other places and try and find value in other places. And the reason Minnesota fired their general manager, Rick Spielman, and fired head coach Mike Zimmer was because they couldn't find value within the margins to build around Kirk Cousins. And that's obviously a difficult task at hand, and at the same time, Minnesota has been committed to, we're going to not tear this thing all the way to the ground. We're going to retool on the fly, similar to what the Dallas Cowboys did. We're going to reconstruct our roster. Dak Prescott's going to make $40 million. Zeke, Zeke, Dak Prescott, and Amari, before last year, made $70 million per year. And when they were all on rookie contracts, they were making $10 million a year. So you have to find $60 million a year somewhere within the margins. And... The Dallas Cowboys did that, one, by getting rid of Amari Cooper, drafting Micah Parsons, drafting CeeDee Lamb, letting Grandy Gregory leave in free agency, letting Byron Jones leave in free agency, letting Lyle Collins leave. And Minnesota had similar situations like this where they Everson Griffin is who I was thinking of earlier. They don't have Everson Griffin. They don't have Linval Joseph. They don't have Xavier Rhodes. They don't have many of those players that 
when they were all on cheap contracts and Case Keenum and Teddy Bridgewater were only making $6 million a year, Minnesota Vikings went to the NFC Championship game. And the very, like two months later, they add Kirk Cousins with that extra money, and then the money starts to disappear in other places. And so they give Barr an extension, they give uh, Thielen an extension, and they trade Stephon Diggs for Justin Jefferson, which was a fantastic move. Like, that is how you retool on the fly. And Justin Jefferson now looks like the only correct pivot that they made. I mean, they have Patrick Peterson and Jordan Hicks and, like, Arizona Cardinals rejects. Uh, they drafted, what's his name, Cam Dantzler. Uh I think, what is it? I think Cam Dance. I think Dantzler is his name. I forgot what his first name is. Um, but they drafted Dantzler. They brought in Patrick Peterson. They brought in Jordan Hicks. Like, they've tried to do little moves here and there to try and improve. Sheldon Richardson came back, like... It just hasn't been enough of a full-scale turnaround for Minnesota. And I'm so interested in that team this year because that team is probably going to make the playoffs. I say probably because the NFC has a bunch of teams in the middle. And we're going to talk about this in a second. I'm not ready to talk about what the Giants are or are not because I haven't watched them this year. Minnesota is in this interesting place where they're probably going to make the playoffs this year. And that's going to look better than what it's looked like the last two years with Zimmer and with um, Spielman, who both got fired. And then they added the new general manager and the new coach. And I'm just interested by how they've built that team because it's very Justin Jefferson reliant. They run the ball a lot and the passing game is very Justin Jefferson reliant and their defense can't really stop anybody. And then when you look on the offensive side of the ball, you point to what is the weakest link now on offense, and that answer is maybe Kirk Cousins. And that's super interesting to find yourself in because of how that roster's been constructed and how they've, they've wanted to construct this roster. This isn't like an intentional situation. Like, this is what they wanted. For five years, they wanted stability at the quarterback position and chose Kirk Cousins, who has been an above-average NFL quarterback for the past five seasons in Minnesota. And this is the year where, so far, Kirk Cousins has played like 2021 Jimmy Garoppolo. He has played like a... a, uh, I mean, I don't like saying Tannehill because it's not that. Think of it like 2020 Matt Ryan. He has played like 2020 Matt Ryan, where we look up and we're like, oh, there's clearly been a regression from what we're used to in the past. And this is Kirk Cousins, by the way, where we're all like, have no idea if Kirk Cousins is good or not. Every other year, he might be in the top three of the MVP race. I said in 2019, when we first started this podcast, if Kirk Cousins loses to the New York Giants, they got to start having questions about moving on. And he went on Adam Thielen's podcast and cried, apologizing to him, saying, I have to do better. And then Kirk Cousins won like five games in a row and was an MVP front runner. And that was the year they went to the playoffs and beat the 13-win Saints in the wild card. That was the thing that was like, okay, Kirk Cousins does have that ability to play at a high end, and that's what the Vikings are paying for, is for high-end production occasionally from Kirk Cousins and avoiding the games where he plays like absolute crap. Kirk Cousins doesn't play like absolute crap, and he also doesn't push the ball down the field. And this year he hasn't had like games that are super, super bad, but he's had no real deep impact like I said 24th in yards per attempt which is again the equivalent to Jacoby Brist these are the people who are the the um the two ahead of him and the two behind him in uh yards per attempt 
Matthew Stafford, Jacoby Brissett, Davis Mills, Baker Mayfield. Those are the four we're talking about in yards per attempt from Kirk Cousins. And so because Kirk Cousins is playing it incredibly safe and still turning the ball over, the Minnesota Vikings are looking up and saying, okay, this is a diminished product of what we've had before. And I'm not saying Kirk Cousins is a diminished product, period. I'm saying that's what the five-game sample size reflects on Kirk Cousins. This is his worst season in passer rating and completion percentage since his first year taking over for RG3 in Washington. And completion percentage has actually never been this bad in his career. His completion, I mean, it's going to be better now that he's completed all those passes from the last game. Both his completion percentage and his passer rating have not been this low since that first season that he took over for RG3 in Washington, which was at a time you could argue Kirk Cousins was a diminished version of a starting quarterback. Minnesota is going to make the playoffs with a defense that is going to be at the bare minimum bottom half in the league and more probable they're going to be a bottom 10 defense for the third consecutive season in a row. I say bottom third. They were 25th two years ago. They were 22nd last year in DVOA. This year they're currently ranked 24th. So they're going to be a bottom 10 defense for the third consecutive season. And you can point to the offensive side of the ball and say they're at so far through five games, there's a diminished return on what Kirk Cousins is. Because like I said, the yards per attempt game manager levels, he has the same passer rating as his 2014 self and has a a lowest completion percentage total since that 2014 season. His first year as a rookie is what you're getting from Kirk Cousins, and this is how these cycles usually work. For players that are like Kirk Cousins, he's a 10-year starting quarterback in the NFL, like what Andy Dalton was. Where Andy Dalton was always the guy for Cincinnati, there were always questions about could you do better, but Andy Dalton was a great quarterback to have. And at a certain point, New quarterbacks enter the league that surpass you because they are younger and have more skills. That's There's only 22 of these starting jobs, and I know there's 32 teams, but 10 teams either actively choose to not put a starting caliber quarterback or they are they actively choose a rookie over a Kirk Cousins. We talk about there's only 15 quarterbacks or 16 quarterbacks that add value in the NFL, which by that average means there's one to two entering the league every single year. And so Kirk Cousins has staved off a lot of them. And at the same time, you're looking at Justin Herbert, who's better than him. You're looking at Joe Burrow, who's entered the league. Tua Tungavailoa, who has a chance to be better than Kirk Cousins. You look at uh, Trevor Lawrence, who's obviously better than him right now. Other teams are betting on quarterbacks like Kenny Pickett and Zach Wilson to one day be 10-year starters in the NFL. And Kirk Cousins has been a 10-year starter in the NFL. That's what Kirk Cousins' standard is. We never think of him as an elite quarterback. He's a textbook definition of a Tier 3 quarterback. He adds value to your team, not a ton of value. He just does add value to your team. And Kirk Cousins is now in his ninth season as a starting quarterback in the NFL. And that is when you start to think of whether or not you can get better returns because he's making a lot of money and because you don't want to sign up for five more years of Kirk Cousins. But maybe the Vikings are weird like that and they do want to sign up for five more years of Kirk Cousins.
the state of the Rams and the state of the Vikings feels very comparable at this point. And I think the thing that will carry the day for the Rams, both of them are probably going to be wildcard teams this year and maybe fighting for similar wildcard positioning. The thing that will carry water for the Rams is Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup. For the Vikings, that is Justin Jefferson and... He plays in an offense where he's not going to have to be utilized as much as Cooper Cup, which is a good idea. It's more balanced. It means that you don't have the same problems that the Rams have. It also means that if Justin Jefferson can't be touching the football, he can't impact the game in the same way that an elite best wide receiver in the league like Jefferson can impact the game for the Vikings. I am mentally not prepared to talk about a 4 and 1 Giants team because one the New York Giants are the New York Giants. They're actively trying to rebuild. I said last week with Walter Mitchell, the Giants should not be focused on WLs being wins and losses. The only Ws and Ls the Giants should be focused on is Will Levis. That's the Ws and Ls that matter for the Giants. Will Levis that is the goal. Will Levis. Not wins, not losses. Will Levis. That goal remains the same if they don't do it. Their other strategy might work out. I just don't have faith in the Giants because, again, second consecutive decade of irrelevance for the New York Giants. But the reason I'm not prepared to talk about the New York Giants being 4-1 and one is, one, they play Baltimore next week, and two, I have not watched New York Giants football this season. I have not watched the New York Giants play football. Because coming into this season, I wanted to have a healthier relationship to football than I have in the past two seasons. And I was very much into social media stuff and making those Instagram posts. And during the pandemic year, it just consumed way too much of my life. And I was doing way too much sports and football last year, just spending dozens of hours and then 12 hours on Sundays doing football content. It was just too much. It's just too much for me. I wasn't finding enjoyment out of it. Some people really enjoy waking up at 6.30 in the morning, West Coast time, watching Giants-Packers, watching Red Zone, watching afternoon games, watching the nightcap, recording a podcast, and it's 16 hours of consecutive football. Some people enjoy that. I used to enjoy that a little bit more when I had less perspective in life, and I, I realize it doesn't meet my needs anymore. And so I haven't done that in, in a while. And part of that is I'm not going to watch bad football, which means I'm not going to watch the New York Giants play football. I have not watched them play this year. It's hard for me to do evaluations on the Giants. They are 4-1, and one, and I've heard about their running game, 
Daniel Jones has not played well. I've seen the box scores. I've seen the statistics. Daniel Jones is not playing well. He's game managing 27th in the league in, in yards per attempt this year. 28th, 28th, sorry, 28th in the league for Daniel Jones in yards per attempt. Daniel Jones's passer rating is 27th. He's not good, but that's okay. Like I said, week six of last year, Judge, Gettleman, Jones, get them all out of here. And the New York Giants came in this year and basically said, well, we'll just bring in Tyrod Taylor. We're not going to spend money on the quarterback position. This is just a transition year. We don't like any of the quarterbacks in this year's draft class. We're going to draft Evan Neal and we're going to draft Kevon Thibodeau. And that's going to be the beginning of our foundation. And I can look at that and say, that is a respectable strategy is you don't see Daniel Jones as your long-term quarterback. Nobody sees Daniel Jones as the long-term quarterback of the Giants. He's just a transitional quarterback like Davis Mills is for the the Houston Texans. And I can get behind that. I can totally get behind that of we just want a transitional year until we find the quarterback that we really like. And power to them for doing that. They don't they, like Daniel Jones. The experiment was done for me after week six of last year. We did a podcast October 2021 talking about it. The Giants don't believe he's the guy of the future. Totally get that. They're just playing him to play him because someone has to play quarterback and they didn't want to spend a bunch of money on like Matt Ryan or Jimmy Garoppolo. Totally get that. New York this year played week one against the Titans in that afternoon window that I believe had. It had Packers Vikings, it had Chiefs Cardinals, and I just didn't pay attention to, uh, I watched Chiefs Cardinals instead of Giants and Titans. And then I I looked up at the end and it was like, oh shit, the Giants beat the Titans. Titans definitely fucked that one up. Giants beat the Titans, end of the game, probably should have lost. The next week they played Carolina, that game just never showed up on the red zone, and for good reason, it was just a terrible football game. Both offenses played poorly, the Giants happened to win like 17-14. Week three... Giants played the Cowboys Monday Night Football, didn't watch that game. Why? Why would I watch Cowboys and Giants on Monday Night Football with Cooper Rush? And by the way, Cooper Rush won the game anyways. Like, the the Cowboys were clearly better than the Giants, with or without Dak Prescott, and they won the game, and that's it. And then last week, the Giants played the Chicago Bears during nine games on the red zone, that game never really showed up on the red zone, and the Giants only scored 20 points in the entire game. And, like, 10 of them were off turnovers. So, like, the Giants scored 10 offensive points and beat the Bears because the Bears are fucking trash. And then this week, it was the London game, and I saw two minutes. So I sat down and watched two minutes of Giants football. I don't know how they got to 27-20 against the Packers. I know the Packers whooped them up early in the game, and then they couldn't score any points in the second half. The Packers had two points, and it was on the intentional safety in the second half. Don't know how that happened. Don't know how the Giants got 27. Just it's 27-20. to I wake up at 9 o'clock West Coast time because I was up until 2 a.m. Turn on the game. Two minutes left to play. Coming out of the two-minute warning, Packers are at the goal line, down 7 Giants bat down two Aaron Rodgers passes after two Aaron Jones run plays, and they win the game. And so I looked up the DVOA defensive rankings for the season, trying to find where the Giants ranked in terms of team defense in the NFL this year to see if that was the explanation for why they were 4-1. and one. And it turns out the New York Giants are ranked 21st in the NFL 
in defensive DVOA. Which means that they aren't that great of a defensive team. And they happen to be 4-1. and one. But their defense is better than it was the last couple years. And Kevon Thibodeau looks like the guy that Blake Jude told us is going to be the number one pick in the draft. They have him. They haven't had Aziz Ojalare for the season. Dexter Lawrence has started every game for four seasons at defensive tackle as a former first-round pick. Giants defense is at least respectable. Giants offense is at least respectable. And they've beaten the three, well, I guess let's say two of the three worst teams in the NFL, Carolina and Chicago. And they beat the Titans at the very end of a game where there was a defensive struggle. And they beat the Packers, and I don't know how they beat the Packers. Therefore, I'm not ready to talk about a 4-1 and one Giants, other than the way we did it right now. Because could the Giants make the playoffs? I'm going to say probably not, but they could. It's a better chance than I thought it was going to be the last couple weeks. There aren't seven good teams in the NFC. There's barely five good teams in the NFC. So, like, one of these shitty teams is going to sneak their way into the playoffs. Arizona might mess it up again. If the Giants make the playoffs over Arizona, you got to fire people in Arizona. I don't care who it is. Someone is losing their job if the New York Giants make the playoffs over the Cardinals. Like, probably Cliff Kingsbury and probably Vance Joseph. Like, if the Giants make the playoffs over the Cardinals, someone's ass is getting fired in Arizona. Because that's just, there's no reason that that should be the case. Any team that doesn't make the playoffs over the Giants that isn't the Bears, Washington, Carolina, or Seattle, someone's got to get fired. Like, if, if the Giants make the playoffs over any of those other teams... That is an indictment of you and your organization. So anyways, back to the Giants. Could they make the playoffs? Improbable? Possible? Yes. I'm not prepared to actually talk about them within a meaningful context because there's no evidence that I can find other than going back and watching game tape that says the New York Giants are actually going to be a competitive football team when, they, when, I, when their whole purpose of this season was to get Will Levis. Because they weren't going to be bad enough to get Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. We knew that from the very beginning of the season. They weren't going to be that bad. With all the players they've drafted over the last few years and all the money they've spent that hasn't gone to the greatest places, they weren't going to be as bad as Houston or Chicago or Seattle or Atlanta. They weren't going to be that bad, so they weren't going to get Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. They were going to be bad enough to get Will Levis. Now, they might not be bad enough to get Will Levis, but they can always trade up. It's, it's all very convoluted and complicated, and I'm just not going to talk about the Giants within that context. The Giants will probably not make the playoffs. I'm going to say that. The Giants will probably not make the playoffs. And at the same time, if your name is not Seattle, Washington, Chicago, Carolina, or Atlanta and the Giants make the playoffs over you, somebody needs to get fired. Someone within management of your team needs to get fired. I'm looking at you, Arizona, with Cliff Kingsbury and Vance Joseph and Steve Keim. I'm looking at you, Minnesota. I know you just hired new head coach and a new GM, so maybe it's some coordinators. I'm looking at you, Detroit. I know you're in a rebuilding year. There's no way that Detroit should be able to not make the playoffs if the Giants can make it. I'm looking at you, New Orleans. I'm looking at you, Dallas. Fire somebody because there's no reason that the five of those teams should not make the playoffs instead of the New York Giants. 
There is no reason that that's the case. And again, the New York Giants are going to get boat raced by the by the Ravens next week, and they're going to lose some fuck-up game against Detroit or something. Like, it's going to happen. Giants are going to come back down to earth. Just the fact that they're 4-1 right now is surprising, and because I have watched two minutes and a couple red zone clips and highlights of New York Giants football this season, and I'm looking at Daniel Jones be a shit quarterback in every statistical measure, because of that, I don't know how to actually evaluate the New York Giants, and I'm not going to sit down and watch the game tape to actually do it and build out a 20-minute conversation like I did with the Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota Vikings, I can at least get interested in that. There's nothing that can get me interested in the New York Giants in that way other than just saying Arizona, New Orleans, Dallas, Detroit, and uh, Minnesota. If, if the Giants make the playoffs over y'all, somebody's getting fired. You, th- somebody's getting fired if that's the case. All right, everybody. It's time for the weekly bestowing of the Philip Rivers Memorial Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award. Every NFL Monday for the past two years, we have been awarding the title of Kirk Cousins Purgatory to the quarterback who spent his Sunday exhibiting the true and honest traits of Kirk Cousins by being down six, no timeouts, one minute to play, length of the field to go. And this week we had a true Kirk Cousins purgatory situation, and that came from the second-year quarterback Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jacksonville Jaguars found themselves down seven points with 43 seconds to play needing to go 96 yards in order to score a touchdown. And doesn't matter whether you succeed or fail, it's just the state of being in Kirk Cousins' purgatory that matters for this award. The, the Jaguars threw an incompletion, did a hook and ladder play that somehow didn't get out of bounds. The whole point of the hook and ladder was they had no timeouts, but tossing it to Christian Kirk didn't matter because Kirk didn't get out of bounds. They ended up throwing up a Hail Mary, Trevor Lawrence got hit as he threw, so it was like 15 yards short. It got intercepted by Desmond King, and the Houston Texans got their first win of the season. When I said back in week two, after they lost to the Broncos in like the saddest, they had a third down and one, and you just knew there was no chance they were going to get it, and then they were in Kirk Cousins' purgatory, and you just knew Davis Mills had no chance of converting, and then he went negative one-yard completion, incomplete, 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 and lost the game. You just knew there was no chance for the Texans, and uh, I didn't think the Texans might not... I thought the Texans might not win a game the rest of the season, but the Texans did, in fact, get it done this week. And congratulations to the Jacksonville Jaguars on effing up royally. I hate everything about the AFC South. And uh, the Houston Texans, I will say, they did lead a game-winning drive with five minutes to go. They got it to the goal line, and Damian Pierce punched in a score. He's actually pretty good. He might win Offensive Rookie of the Year in a really bad year for Offensive Rookies. So shout out to Damian Pierce and the Texans. The Texans no longer have that title of team that they have the ball needing to get two yards in three plays, and I just know they have no chance of getting it. The Texans no longer hold that title in the second month of the season. That title now belongs to Washington. Washington that was so sad at the end of the game they had first and goal at the two with 17 seconds I just knew there was no chance they were going to get it 
And lo and behold, Carson Wentz threw an almost interception and then an actual interception to lose the game. So, Trevor Lawrence gets Kirk Cousins' purgatory this week, but Washington gets the title from Houston of team I just know has no chance of scoring when they get into the two-minute drill. I do want to wrap up by just talking about some of the crappy games from the weekend, which I know this wasn't a great football weekend in terms of results or games or whatever, but I do want to reemphasize a point about the uh, Seattle Seahawks because this was the thing I said about Seattle and Detroit last week, and it still rings true. This is uh, my personal belief across all of football, which is if you're going to suck, at least suck and score a ton of points. Like, bad teams that are boring is just unwatchable. I talked about this with the Giants earlier. The Giants are 4-1. and one. I have not watched a single New York Giants game this entire season. The only time the New York Giants have come up was... So, week one, the Giants played the Titans and didn't watch any of that game. It was in the afternoon block, didn't watch it. I was like, oh, weird, the Giants beat the Titans. Weird result, whatever. Uh, then the Giants beat uh, Carolina, never showed up on the red zone, never saw that game on the broadcast. Played the Cowboys Monday night week three, didn't watch that game. Last week got a little bit of Giants football on the red zone against the Bears, but for the most part, that game didn't show up. And then didn't watch any of the Giants-Packers game until two minutes left to play when Kevon Thibodeau stopped Aaron Rodgers. I'm just not watching the Giants because the Giants may be winning games they're not fun to watch and like the Patriots they're gonna be bad and they're not fun to watch Uh, so the Bears are gonna be bad and not fun to watch Washington is bad and not fun to watch like that Washington Titans game like both of those teams are not good and I'm just like why would I watch that we talked about Colts Broncos earlier why would I watch Colts Broncos both teams are bad and both teams are boring Saints And Seahawks, if you're going to suck, score a ton of points. That's more fun. It's way more fun that Seattle scores a fuck ton of points and gives up a fuck ton of points because that's at least entertaining. It's at least fun to watch them just like bomb 60-yard touchdowns and Kenneth Walker break 65-yard touchdowns. Yeah, your team is going to suck. At least you score a ton of points. At least it's going to be fun to watch if your team's going to be terrible and I'm going to be forced to have it come up on the red zone. I've watched so much Seahawks football because they keep showing up on the red zone, and I know that team isn't good, and yet they're still so much fun when they pop up on the red zone. The same thing happened to the Lions until this week uh, because Bill Belichick just does that and we don't even bat an eye anymore. Saints and Seahawks, super fun. And also, both of those teams are not going to make the playoffs, but super fun to watch. So I reiterate, if you're going to suck, suck and score a lot of points. I also reiterate, if you're going to suck, suck with your rookie quarterback. And this was the most viral uh, post I had over the weekend, which is, if you're going to suck Atlanta, play Desmond Ritter. If you're going to be bad, play Desmond Ritter. Does it mean Desmond Ritter is going to be your future quarterback? No, you drafted him in the third round. You don't actually think he's going to be your future quarterback, and you would upgrade from Desmond Ritter the second you get a chance, even if it means trading for a sexual predator, which is what the Atlanta Falcons tried to do. The Atlanta Falcons should just play Desmond Ritter because like Marcus Mariota last week threw an interception and then they ran 14 consecutive run plays, and now Cordell Patterson might be out for season. And this week, Marcus Mariota started off that um, the Patriot. I'm sorry, at halftime of the the Tampa game, he was four for ten with 32 yards, and the Falcons had zero points. Like, just play Des. If you're gonna suck, play the rookie. 
it doesn't hurt. Your season's over, Atlanta. Your season was over before it even started. I know what Walter Mitchell believes in the Falcons, and I, I have, will say the Falcons could have been 3-1 and one coming into this week, and they are better than I thought they were. And at the same time, your team isn't any good. Your offense isn't any good. Just play the rookie. Who cares? If you're going to suck, suck with the rookie so that you at least can do an evaluation. And in the case of the Steelers, Steelers got boat raced, but at least Kenny Pickett looked fun. At least Kenny Pickett threw the ball a lot to Deontay Johnson, and Deontay Johnson had some awesome almost catches. Like, at least Fryermuth got involved in the offense. Like, at least it was fun. At least Pittsburgh wasn't, like, just an atrocity. And, uh, you know, it, it's just Desmond Ritter doesn't even have to be a future. You could think of him the way you think of Davis Mills or the way the Patriots think of Bailey Zappi, which is a, a replaceable quarterback. But you might as well. Your offense is terrible as it is. It's going to continue to be terrible because Arthur Smith just wants to run the football all the time. And now he's running the football with like Alama Diaz Zacchaeus as his number one running back, and I know he's a wide receiver, but it just doesn't matter. The Falcons are just a generic offense with a running back who I know he exists. I just don't know what his name is. Is it like Ellison or something? Is the the Falcons number one running back? Like it's just just if you're gonna suck, suck with the rookie. And if you're gonna suck, suck and score a lot of points. Oh, Algier, that's his name. Algier is the running back for the Falcons like the Falcons are no good and that's okay the Falcons are trying to get blue chip prospects it's okay just play Desmond Ritter that's Desmond Ritter they don't even think he's the future of the team it's just Mariota's definitely not so like you might as well might as well Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast and our NFL Monday show. We've got guests coming up this week. We've got more conversations, more football talk, baseball talk, all kinds of fun stuff coming up this week. You'll have to stay tuned to see who joins us and what we will get to next. In the meantime, check out our previous podcasts, including our watch party for playoff baseball from Sunday, uh, our Padres celebration show from friday last week we talked to blake jude we talked to walter mitchell we had a conversation about u.s women's national team and head injuries oh that's one more thing i forgot to talk about teddy bridgewater got concussed early in that game and the nfl was like don't put him back in we are not dealing with this shit again doesn't matter if the dolphins lose to the jets we are not putting teddy bridgewater back in this goddamn football game Yeah, that also happened. So you can hear our conversation that has aged pretty well, I would say, about Tua. And Dolphins fans agree on Reddit that this conversation has aged pretty well. So you could check that out from Tuesday of last week. Go back into our archives and be on the lookout for all sorts of content coming at you this week. Take it easy, everybody.